guys. We're back. Welcome back. This is Don't Fuck With Ghosts. We are your blow sisters. I'm Greer. I'm Betsy. And we're here to hang today yes. to talk about ghost stories and spooky yes. things. Yes, sorry that it's been longer than normal. <laughs> That's due to a few reasons. One, it was my turn to get COVID, so <laughs> that was fun. Fully recovered, more antibodies. Yes. We got antibodies up in both of our systems now. Yes. So I don't want to say thank God, but like, I guess it's the silver lining. Yep. <laughs> Um, but also, Greer is going to Europe mm-hmm. in one week. Yeah, by this so that's time, super exciting. This time next week, I'll actually still be here. So th- by tomorrow next week, I'll be in Scotland. Are you flying out on a, on Saturday or Sunday? Yeah, we're flying out Saturday. Um, I think at five, and then going through Boston, and then getting into Edinburgh. Wow. But we're like going up to the Outer Hebrides, which for anyone listening who doesn't know, are these sort of remote islands in the northwest part of Scotland and then we're going there for a few days driving around on the wrong side of the road so wish us so much luck and then going down to Edinburgh before then ending in London um on my birthday for a concert wow so, best birthday ever yeah I know Isn't- I was I was literally just telling Betsy like I'm trying to convince I'm going with my boyfriend and I'm trying to convince him to do the Edinburgh Haunted Vaults tour which I've done like three times now good luck yeah I know he's <laughs> So wonderful, but I don't think he is going to be game for that. But I'm going to try no. to keep my eyes and ears open for any like spooky ghost stories while I'm around because I'm sure these remote islands up in the northwest that are like part of this medieval civilization. I'm sure they've got some spooky things going on there. Oh, so yeah, for I'm sure. excited for, for that. Sure. Yeah, and if you don't hear anything, just start asking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yes, I'm going to be gone for like ten days, so the next episode isn't going to come out for like probably like a three week gap. Yeah, so we wanted so. we wanted to wait another week to record this episode so that. We didn't go have to go a whole month without you guys having an episode. Yeah. So just a little longer in between this episode and next episode. Um, but yeah, so super exciting. Is that your first international trip since yeah. COVID? Since oh you and I went to London oh. in 2019. Jesus. We went to London together in 2019. <clears throat> Betsy went for a work trip yeah. for like a, like you were there for five days maybe for work. Yeah, so it was for a conference, and the actual conference was, like, four or five days, but then, like, I got there on the weekend and stuff, so I was there for, like, a whole week before Greer got there. Yeah, and then I just showed up basically for Veterans Day weekend, and I was like, (laughs) I'll go to London, Um, and that was my last international trip. That was November of 2019, Yeah, and we didn't didn't know what was about to happen. Wow. I know. Wait, that's crazy that London was the last place I was internationally, and it'll be the first place besides Scotland that I'll be internationally. Wow. Life comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we have another listener story this week mm-hmm. from Greer's cousin. Yeah, this is from my cousin Katie. Um, she is big into ghosts. Katie, thank you so much for listening and for sending in this story. Um, so we can go ahead and play that for you guys now. Is it working? Okay. So one of my ghost experiences was at the Charleston jail in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I went there on a work trip and I did the late ghost tour at the jail, um, which nobody else was at. And we got there a little bit early. We got there at midnight and it went until like two or three in the morning. But since it was just us, they basically told us we could stay as long as we wanted to, as long as we felt comfortable. Um, So 
I, since I got there early, I figured I'd take some photos of the grounds and everything. And as I was taking pictures, I noticed that I was seeing shadows in my peripheral. And I was like, you know, I'm just seeing things. It is what it is. Like, I'm just spooking myself because it's midnight in a super haunted city. So the tour guides get there. It's a husband and wife. This is how they met. And I tell them what I saw. And they were like, no, you, you saw those correctly. Like, those are the shadow people. They could, like, basically patrol the grounds. And they basically read your energy And they will charge at you if they don't like your energy to try and get you off of the grounds to keep their area safe. So I was like, okay, cool. Inside, I'm shitting myself. Um, So we get inside. They're telling us a little bit about the area, um, you know, about the jail, the history of it before we start the tour. And I, again, out of my corner of my eye, before we go up the staircase, I see this light that keeps going on and off. And the woman running the tour can tell that I'm looking at it and she goes, it's not broken, it's motion censored. So keep in mind that was happening. Um, and then they got the e- like the radios out and um, you know we were able to take photos and everything. I didn't really have much show up on photos, but if you look up photos on Google, other things will show up. Um, They told us a lot of ghost encounters that had happened. I didn't experience all of them. Um, But another thing you have to do when you enter is you have to state your name and what you're there for and your intention. And on the radio, before you can walk up the stairs, they basically, they're kind of like a frat house. They either approve or deny you into their area. Um, We were all approved, you know. God bless, didn't get the stamp or anything, but was still let up. And they just told us more about the jail and, you know, the history of the people that were there. They told us about the first woman serial killer that was there. She was the only woman in a jail full of men. She had her own cell, which doesn't say much. Um, And she hated men, which, period, to be honest. And I, she, she was known to scratch men if she didn't like them and you know the guy that I was with at the time obviously didn't believe it but when we got back to the hotel room that night at like three or four in the morning he had these long like really deep red scratch marks in his thighs and he was wearing jeans so there was no other way and he remembered feeling cold like freezing cold when we were in the room that Lavinia Fisher, I believe her name was, was kept. And I kept getting cold chills from room to room when wherever we were. And then the radio would start going and they'd be like, angel, perfect, stay. So ghosts got crushes, I guess. Um, but there was all of that going on. And then when we went to the basement... There is a room where this ghost named Animal is super prevalent. And we just said hi and they did the, um, I don't know the exact term for it, but like the sticks that they do where you can say yes, split them apart, no, cross them, you know, that thing. And so we were doing that, asking questions, and we said goodbye to be polite after a while. And as I was leaving, I'm the last out of the room, something is tugging on my shirt trying to get me to stay. So I just kind of of brushed it off and said no thank you to Animal and kept going. Um, 
but that was the majority of my encounters. Um, nothing really ran at me. I heard a few doors slamming. I've heard that things can get really violent there though. Um, you know, again, with people running at you, throwing things at you, one woman that was like the jailhouse keeper's wife doesn't like when people wear hats. So she'd knock people's hats off. Um, I did not go to the top floor where death row was. I did not like the energy coming from that area. So I just straight up didn't go cause I was a spook. Um, but people do go up there and again, it changes for everybody. I think if you're a little shithead during it, they're obviously going to get pissed. I think if you respect their space, they're going to be respectful back, but they might fuck with you a little bit like animal did to me. But overall good experiences left with a lot of adrenaline, of course, because I had never experienced something on that level before. Um, oh, and there's another room there in the basement that they have completely sealed off due to the fact that there have been so many mediums and ghost hunters, what have you, that have gone and felt the energy of that room and said, there is a portal open in here. Whatever is coming out of it is not human. It is not normal and you need to seal it up. And they they believed them and they sealed it because of all of the terrible things that were happening in that room when people would visit. And they're doing construction, I think, and restorations on the jail right now. So I don't entirely know when I'll be back. I am planning on going to Charleston the end of this summer. So hopefully it's ready by then and I can go and see if I can have more experiences. But Besides that, and then all of the things I've heard from Cave of the Winds, which Greer knows about, that is the majority of my ghost encounters, besides waking up at 3 a.m. randomly and telling them to respectfully leave me alone, because I live alone, so I was very scared. And that's my story. Wow. Yeah. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. I've heard so much about that prison before, like, just from my own research and like listening to other podcasts about it and stuff it it sounds like almost everyone has some sort of experience there like it's super super haunted i mean i pulled up a picture of it i mean you've seen a picture i'm sure as as you've like learned about it but it just looks looks like a fortress yeah it really does look like an old fortress and there's like paint peeling off the sides it looks supremely haunted i definitely want to get down there at some point i know well charleston like katie like Mm -hmm. you were saying katie charleston is like insanely haunted it's like the trifecta is like charleston savannah and new orleans Mm -hmm. we should do a road trip i know that'd be a southern haunted road trip that'd be so good yeah Yeah. katie thank you so much for this and i'm definitely either going to do an episode on the cave of the winds or i'm going to rely on you to to send in another ghost story to talk about the cave of the winds um so thank you because i don't know anything about it (laughs) yeah so Uh, that was great yes and guys listening please keep sending us stories yes um we get we have a few more but we're gonna we're gonna spread them out um yeah we gotta gotta savor the stories that we can't tell them all at once yeah (laughs) i can't reveal our secrets we're classy ladies yeah okay well i think we're gonna get into our stories now as a short intro today so we're just gonna get right into it um so this week we are doing haunted hotels 
Um, and I will be covering the Omni Shoreham, which is located in Woodley Park in Northwest Washington, D.C., so right in our own little neighborhood. And I was actually supposed to go there last weekend because, so for my job, I was able to get tickets to this, like, fancy um, event, basically networking event um, at the Omni Shoreham, and it's, like, a black tie thing. It's super fancy, and I went back in 2019, but I've been trying to go (laughs) ever since, and obviously it was canceled in 2020, and then last year I waited too long to sign up, and then this year we were all set to go, and then I got COVID. You had had your dress altered? I got my dress altered. My boyfriend got... He was going to rent a tux. And then the universe said, take a seat. <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully next year I'll get to go and like I can go suss it out for myself. Yeah. But let's get into the history. Let me pull up my notes. So it, like I said, it, it's located in Woodley Park in northwest Washington, D.C. It was built in 1930 by Harry Bralov or Bralov. Don't know how to pronounce that. But he was determined to build a majestic hotel in the nation's capital despite the Great Depression. Wow. And it's like, it was obviously super fancy for its time. Everybody was being fancy back then, like right out of the 20s. Yeah, true, true. So, you know, even though the Great Depression was happening, they wanted to, if you had the means to do it, I guess, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when it opened, 5,000 people attended the grand opening. Wow. Um, And then it became the venue for several inaugural balls for presidents from FDR to Bill Clinton. Um, And then it played host to numerous politicians and celebrities, including Harry Truman, John F. Kennedy, the Philippine president Manuel Alcazon, um, and then musicians like Aretha Franklin and the Beatles. And there's actually a picture of the Beatles there. Oh, oh my gosh. show you. Um, also, my boyfriend and I went to an inaugural ball at the Omni Shoreham. Oh, I forgot that you, you've been Un- there. Unfortunately, that was a 2017 inaugural ball. So, uh. the, yeah, there was no like <laughs> the it basically was just college students like kind of getting drunk and having a good time. There wasn't really any mention of politics, but yeah. the vibes weren't. <laughs> The vibes weren't great. No, no. So this is the the Beatles there with uh, some that. lady. I don't know who she is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so wow. it lot, lots of famous people and high up politicians have been there, and it's super fancy and has played host to all of these events. It's huge. It's ginormous, it's so and it's like this outdoor garden that's huge and beautiful and that's like the main thing that I remember from going there last time like the inside was really cool and fancy but like the gardens were super intricate and really gorgeous um so after the hotel's construction um one of the minority shareholders and wealthy businessmen named Henry Doherty moved with his family to an exquisite eighth floor apartment which is now known as suite 870 and also known as the ghost suite. So this is like the primary haunted space at the Omni Shoreham. So he moved in there with his family, which included his wife and daughter, and they also had an executive housekeeper move in with him, uh, move in with them, named Juliet Brown. So Juliet woke up ill one morning, and she tried to call for a doctor. And then a few hours later, one of the engineers noticed that a phone was off the hook, and when he went to investigate, he discovered... She was dead. And the phone was hanging inches from her hand. Oh, my God. So she, she, like, literally died as she was trying to call the doctor. Oh, my gosh. That's um, so fucking scary. Right? 
and the coroner reported that she died of natural causes. Hmm. So, hmm. don't know if that's actually what happened. <laughs> she, it could have been. She, but you know, it was just creepy how she was found. Yeah, basically suspicious. And it, like, I don't think she was super old or anything. So, um, but then Doherty's wife, Grace, died in the room, and I, it wasn't. It didn't say how much longer it was before she died, mm-hmm. um, but she also died in the room. And then <clears throat> that was allegedly due to failing health. Um, and then this is unclear whether or not... So some of the sources that I used um, said that his daughter also died in the room. Um, and that started sparking rumors that she uh, overdosed. Oh. Yeah. But then one of the sources that I used said that this was false as cemetery records had allegedly revealed she died in Denmark in 1964. Huh. Okay. So I don't actually know if she died in there or not. Um, some sources say she did, others didn't. But um, shortly after Juliet and his wife died and maybe his daughter, <laughs> he left. um, And the suite remained vacant for over 50 years and was shut off from the rest of the hotel. Wow. Was it vacant because nobody wanted to take it up because people had died in it? Or like the hotel shut it off because they were like, this is bad, bad luck. We don't want people. I don't know, but eventually they do start renovation. So maybe it just like wasn't suitable to be used. I'm not sure. Um, but despite it being vacant, the hallway around the suite, because all like the hallway was still being used, and like mm-hmm. all of the neighboring suites are being used, um, and those neighbors were reporting several minor disturbances. <clears throat> um, carts would be moving on their own. There would be unexplained breezes, and then noise complaints came in from other guests on that floor. According to uh, the chief engineer of the hotel, Stephen Pauly, um, the director of security, Raphael McKeithen. Uh, reported a particularly strange complaint involving loud piano playing on the floor. And many of these events seemed to be happening around 4 a.m., which was Juliet's, t- Juliet's time of death. Oh, man. So oh. It's, pri- it's said that her ghost is the one that's primarily haunting the suite, is wow. Juliet. Wow. Um, but the staff obviously knew that this suite was vacant, mm-hmm. and there was no piano on that floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 1997, the hotel decided to renovate the suite. Um, and during these renovations, a worker allegedly fell to his death from the balcony, according to Dolly Robinson, who had cleaned the suite for almost five years. But this this was the only source that, that talked about somebody dying during the renovations. Mm-hmm. And the other sources, they like were only talking about really Juliet and maybe the wife. Okay. Um, but... It could have happened. I mean, <laughs> I mean people, if somebody's reporting on it, it's a possibility. Yeah, I feel like, and also, something similar happened in the story that I'm going to tell later. So I feel like the likelihood of somebody falling to their death while building a hotel or renovating something is, like, pretty high. Like, yeah. on scaffolding. I think yeah. it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, some of the, the workers were more superstitious, and they refused to even go up there alone. And the complaints from neighbors would still come in frequently. There's a quote from Handon Bass Bailey, who was the director of sales, saying, we've had several cases where guests called in, some, called in some sound complaints on the floor, but he had only worked there for about five months. Oh. So, like, it's happening, happening frequently enough that, like, new people are, are wow. noticing it, too. Wow. So, um, 
Dolly, who I'd mentioned earlier, who cleaned the suite, she never witnessed anything out of the ordinary while managing the room, but did mention that some cleaners had an experience with flickering lights and sounds that scared them so much that they refused to come back. And then Polly, who I had mentioned earlier, I think he's the chief uh, engineer, he, uh, he had one of the most dramatic experiences when he'd brought some people to look at it. Quote, all the dresser drawers were pulled out and cabinets were opened. Oh. He later oh. confronted one of the housekeepers about it, wondering if it was undergoing some new type of cleaning. <laughs> And the housekeeper denied any involvement. And when they went back to investigate, all the drawers and cabinets had been shut. Ooh, that's so creepy. Quote from Polly. All I can say is I know what happened to me that day with the people I was showing. There's not an explanation. Things happen that you can't explain. End quote. Oh, that's <clears> so... <throat> the idea of walking to, into a room and it looks like somebody has rummaged through all your things and opened yeah. up all the drawers, but no human being has been in there. That's just no. so And scary. it's like everything is open. Everything. <sighs> I would feel so exposed. I, <laughs> <laughs> um, McKeithen, who was the security guy, McKeithen mentioned that many times guests claimed that a little girl was running around the halls and an older woman in a long, old-fashioned dress roamed the halls. He said he's seen the older woman multiple times. So the little girl makes me think of the daughter. Oh, that's right. But then, like, these reports were saying only, like, two apparitions were being reported. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, you know how sometimes when people die, even if they die older, if they do return as a ghost, like, they can appear as, like, whatever age they want. Yeah. So maybe one of them is appearing as a little girl. Maybe. If, if the daughter didn't die in yeah. the hotel room or is not haunting <laughs> the hotel. Um Oh, okay, so this is McKeithen qu- quoting about the, the older woman. You always think it's just a guest. You see the long dress going on to the elevator. You can actually catch the same elevator she gets on, and there's no one there. When people from all over the world are seeing and hearing the same things, there must be something to it, end quote. Ooh, that's so true. Yeah. People reporting the same thing. Right. Like, especially people who are skeptic, it's not like they're out there reading articles about ghosts at the Omni Shoreham Hotel. <laughs> no. Like, it's, it's very obscure. It's very obscure ghost story. Yeah. So, um, it's not like super famous for being haunted or anything. Um, so once Suite 870 had been renovated, it was open for reservations for the first time since it's been since it had been occupied by the Doherty's. And it didn't take long for guests to start reporting strange occurrences. They would find their personal belongings strewn across the room, and lights in the TV would turn on by themselves around 4 a.m. Again, Juliet's reported time of death. So now, and I don't know when they changed this or if it had always been this way, because I I think you can still um, reserve it, but the ghost suite can only be booked if the hotel is sold out or if you request an upgrade when you've checked into the hotel. Interesting. Because it's the presidential suite, so it's like $2,000 a night. okay. Yeah. I don't understand the hotel <clears throat> being booked out thing. Like, if there's no other option for you, uh, yeah, you I guess. stay. Yeah. Wow. Because, like, technically it's up there and you can use it, but, like. Yeah. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah. So, but this is, so the ghost suite is not the only haunted part of the hotel. It's, like, the primary haunted space, but there is allegedly another part of the hotel that is haunted, a complex called Parkview, which is, like, it's not a in the, like, the main building. I guess it's connected by some hallway or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, there, a maintenance worker, Art Perry, was fixing a carpet in one of the rooms in Parkview, and as he was bending over, he felt someone flicking the antenna of his walkie-talkie onto his back. Oh, ew. And this is a quote from 
from him saying, I thought it was a homeless man who'd somehow gotten in and was playing a trick on me or something. Yeah, I know. It's kind of rude. <laughs> but that's what he said. Um, when he turned around, there wasn't anyone directly behind him, but he saw a person peering from around a door. He ran to the doorway and followed footsteps down to the elevator, but there wasn't anybody there when he turned the corner. And when he returned to the suite, he made an ominous discovery. Quote, there was a big stain on the floor. It looked like blood. What? And then he called one of the higher ups about it. Um, but when someone went to go clean it, it was gone. No stain. <gasps> oh my gosh. Um, and then this is from the chief engineer, Polly again, quote, he swears to this day, he saw a man in that park view room and the blood on the carpet. I mean, the blood on the carpet is something that you can't be mistaken about. Like if no. you see even a blood if it, stain. Yeah, and even if it wasn't blood, right. like it was a massive stain that was mysteriously not there. Right. Like, like you can, <laughs> I, you can see things out of the corner of your eye, maybe like be tricked by an illusion or something, or you think you see a shadow. But if you see a stain, that's a stain. That's real. I know. Oh, that's so yeah. Funny. And both Polly and McKeithen both say that um, Art refuses to go back to the room at night by himself. Wow. Um, and then <laughs> I found a TripAdvisor review about specifically the Parkview rooms mm -hmm. that says, quote, the Parkview wing of the hotel is really far away from the hotel front desk and main area. The building is connected by a long hallway and has that brutalist look of a 1970s elementary school building. <laughs> Everything was damp when I got to my room as if there were leaks in the walls. The room smelled of mildew. Ugh. Which, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's haunted, but like the Omni Shoreham is very fancy. I know. It's like a very fancy upscale hotel that like it's kind of out of the ordinary for things to be damp and yeah. like smell gross i agree that does not sound normal at all no um and then one other strange and also sad occurrence was that um mckeith and the chief of security he mentioned that a, there was a suicide that occurred in room six six shut up seven oh <laughs> Like, oh, isn't that uh, the suspense was good? <laughs> the setup. <laughs> um, but apparently, hotel management had to bring in a priest to bless the room before the cleaning staff would work in there. I mean, yeah, yeah. good for them for insisting on what they needed. <laughs> wow, that's really awful. That's very sad. No, very sad. And I don't, it didn't say when that happened, but mm -hmm. um, and also the main article that I'm getting this information for was written in 2011. Okay, so it's it's kind of old, but yeah. Oh my gosh, that's um, over 10 years old now. Yeah. Wow. I know. Um, so that's like the main haunted overall um, haunted background of the Omni Shoreham. But mm -hmm. I wanted to talk specifically about um, this person's experience in the ghost suite. His name is Eric Nuzum, N-U-Z-U-M. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. But he wrote an article. He's a journalist. And he wrote an article for the Washington Mag in 2007 Ooh, okay. and he went to go stay at the ghost suite and I'm going to talk about his experience now. Um, so I'm going to start with an excerpt from the article just to like set the scene. You'd think that given an opportunity to stay in a presidential suite, I'd want to take advantage of the amenities. Not this time. I was unshaven, unshowered, and wearing the same clothes I'd slept in. If you can call lying wide awake all night and shivering with fear sleeping. It was 6.15 a.m. I just wanted to go home. I hope you enjoyed your stay at the Omni Shoreham, the front desk clerk said. Would you like me to print a copy of your... Oh my god, you were in 870. 
Suite 870 at the Omnishore Ham has a couple of things that make it stand out among the thousands of hotel rooms in Washington. First, it has a view. The Penthouse Suites Terrace offers a breathtaking view of Rock Creek Park, with the Arlington Skyline, Air Force Memorial, and Washington Monument peeking above the trees in the distance. Even more unusual, Suite 870 has a ghost. The clerk's wide eyes went from her computer screen to my face. Did anything... She trailed off, hoping I'd fill in details. She probably wanted me to tell her about the unexplained noises in the three-bedroom suite, or about lights turning off on their own. Maybe she hoped I would tell her I had spent the last hour before dawn on the terrace, hedging my bets that whatever was inside wouldn't step out for fresh air. All I could, say of, all I could think of to say was the truth. I'm not entirely sure what happened up there. And then this is a quote from the clerk again. She usually won't let me inside, the clerk said, referring, I assumed, to the resident ghost. Almost every time I have to go up there, I can't get the key to work. Some folks here won't even go inside. It isn't uncommon for Omni Shoreham employees to share stories about Room 870, also known as the ghost suite. They tell tales of faint voices in empty rooms, cold breezes, and televisions and lights turning on and off on their own. These stories are why I'd forced myself to spend the night there. I couldn't do that. No. I couldn't do it. <laughs> nope. Not too, even for the job. <laughs> no, I'm too weenie. I couldn't do it. <clears throat> yeah. So Eric went into this experience as a skeptic. Um, he said as a journalist, he needs things proven to him, but he also stated that he's terrified of the idea of ghosts. Okay. So he's open so to it. So he's open to yeah. it, but he, he need, he's like, a, I also believe it when I see it kind of person. Yes. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> So he provided some additional background in his article. Um, he talked about the then manager, Todd Scartazzi. Um, he, at the time, was working at another Omni property, and he stayed in the ghost suite with his family while on vacation in D.C. And one night, his daughter, this is Todd's daughter, uh, started yelling for him from the other bedroom. Um, this is a quote from Todd. She cried out, Daddy, there's someone in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Daddy, really? Daddy. Oh, gosh. Okay. So the walk-in closets in the ghost suite are equipped with motion detectors so that the light will turn on when someone enters. Um, this is another quote from Todd. We were sitting there. The closet door is closed. I wasn't moving. She wasn't moving. And the lights came on. The light stayed on for a minute, then shut off. A few minutes later, it turned on again, then shut off. So his daughter stayed with him the rest of the night, and he called the engineers the next morning to check the closet lights, but they couldn't find anything wrong with them. Oh, no. Yeah. I feel like motion sensor lights don't really malfunction all that much. No. Like, I don't think that happens. No. It was the ghost. No. <laughs> um, so that was a little bit more background that he wrote about in his article that I hadn't already found. So, um, But when he got, the, when Eric got to the ghost suite, he... Went to bed. He tried going to bed. So like, this is what I was, we were talking about um, a couple episodes ago, like how if you're going to do one of these experiences, you're not going to sleep well. No. So why even try? Exactly. <laughs> um, but he took a Lunesta to <laughs> help him go to That's sleep. That's cheating. <laughs> but he said that he woke up 90 minutes later. Ooh. So like he fell asleep pretty quickly. But he also, he didn't get under the covers. He kept all his clothes on and he turned on all the lights in the suite. Did he do that so that if he needed to leave, he could, like, bounce him? Because he was scared. Oh, my God. Yeah. So. I would, I would be scared. <clears throat> I would, like, want to be under the covers. You know when you're asleep at night and that's what I'm saying. Like, it pops out and you, like, yeah, bring it back in I can't quick? be out of the covers. Like, no. Like, when I, when I saw my grandma and I hid under the covers all night, mm -hmm. it was my only, my only 
place of solace. So like, uh, I, yeah. Oh um, so even though he fell asleep within the hour, he awoke up promptly 90 minutes later. Um, and he attributes it to being on edge from the whole event. So he was like never able to get into like a fully deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so he was up basically the whole rest of the night. And at one forty-five a.m., he heard a long, loud creak. Oh. <laughs> As if someone were opening a noisy door or gingerly walking across an old hardwood floor. Oh my god. I think that's the scariest noise. <laughs> yes, like creaking wood. Yeah. Seriously. That's why living in all of our old houses was scary because they were all there were always house noises. Yeah. Like the wood settling. Yeah. So like before that he had been hearing like noises like the pipes and like he could hear people um like laughing down at the pool, but it wasn't until like that loud creak that he was like fully on edge and alert. And he said the noise happened again at two fifteen and then two fifty. And throughout the night it happened a total of five times. Wow. And he was never able like he like would get up and run and try to see like what was making the noise. And he was never able to find any evidence for who or what was causing it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so he waited anxiously for 4 a.m. because he, at this point he, like, knew that that was, like, the her, the Juliet's hour of death. Mm-hmm. So, like, he thought something was going to happen. Um, but it came and went. But he was still, like, super on edge. And then he finally started to settle back down, but then another loud creaking noise came from the dining room. So he upped and left. (laughs) He went to go sit on the balcony to watch the sunrise. Wow. Um, And he stayed there until it was like almost time to check out. And so he, when he went back in to collect his things, um, he noticed that the lights in the dining room were off even though he'd turned on all of the oh, lights. Yeah. And he thought that maybe it was like motion or not motion detected, but like um, on a timer. Mm-hmm. So he thought that it wouldn't turn back on if he tried to turn back on, but it, it turned back on. When so he someone tried. fully flipped a switch. Yeah. It turned off on its own. Wow. Yeah. That is terrifying. So <laughs> when he, when he figured that out, he hightailed it out and checked out. Um, but despite his spooky encounters, he wasn't able to fully chalk it up to anything supernatural. So he called in some professionals. Yes. A group called DC Metro Area Ghost Watchers. What? We have ghost watchers in this <gasps> area. Oh my gosh, I wonder if they have a Facebook page. I want to so, look it up later. Well, I tried cuz like all these articles are like from 2007-2011 and then like I found an article from 2011 specifically about DC Mag, do that's what their acronym is. DC mm-hmm. Metro Area Ghost Watchers and in the article they like had a link that was like like um over their name so like I tried to click on it and now it's just like it's like a whole website for different like haunted attractions in the DC metro area okay so I and like also so here let me get into them a little bit <clears throat> so um they're at this time they were led by Altias T-S T-Y-A-S, who's from Falls Church. (laughs) Um, And in addition to investigating alleged hauntings, he collects ghosts. How does one collect a ghost? That's a great question, (laughs) Greer. I'm glad you asked. He has, there's a quote from him saying, I buy haunted items on eBay, but you can't really do it much anymore. It seems that whatever, whenever somebody has junk they can't get rid of, they just claim it's haunted and sell it online. (laughs) Um, so DC Mag, DC Mag is a volunteer group of three members, Altias, 
um, retired Navy occupational therapist John Warfield and law enforcement officer and firearms instructor Lou McClenahan. Sorry, what an amazing last name for a former military person, Warfield. Oh my god, I did not even realize that. That's too good. That's too good. Yeah. Yeah. So, and when I found that article in 2011, it's about specifically about DC mag, it said that John is now in charge. So I think Al retired. Okay. Um, but they are, they're a volunteer group, so they don't charge for their, their services. They consider it community service. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, I got to say when military or former military people believe in paranormal stuff, for some reason, it always gives it a little bit more legitimacy because I feel right. like military people are so They're no so pragmatic. Shit. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I like that we got military people on this team. Yeah. It's retired legitimate. Navy and a, and a cop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so DC Mag has conducted more than 100 investigations at homes, businesses, museums, and other locations around the area. And they use electromagnetic field meters, motion detector biorhythm monitors and infrared thermometers um and they're they've gotten calls ranging from people terrified by something grabbing them while they've slept unexplained noises moving hiding objects uh there was a call they got about a ghost of a pet rabbit a haunted mattress (laughs) and they even got one claim of a ghost haunting this person's wife's vagina oh aren't those called um um oh there's a name for ghosts that have sex with people while they're asleep ah I can't remember the name of it, but that's like a thing. Yeah, I've definitely heard of that, and that's terrifying. Yes. Um, but they declined to investigate that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Crazy. But so Eric brought DC Mag with him for a second night in the ghost suite, and they tried to draw out Juliet by messing up the suite because, you know, she was a housekeeper. So they <laughs> they spread magazines on tables. They put towels on the floor, pulled back the bed sheets, and they lifted the toilet seat up. And John stated that we always put those up when we're dealing with female ghosts. It makes them nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately upon entering the ghost suite, Al said he could feel a presence in the dining room. He said he could also tell that she, and he sensed it was a she, was shy and wasn't all that interested in being documented. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like most ghosts probably aren't interested in being documented. Right. Unless they have, you know, big old egos. Yeah, no, unless they're, like, um, malevolent, malevolent, yeah. Um, So after two hours of trying to record something with all their ghost hunting equipment, the only thing they got was an EVP recording of something that sounded like someone saying, go. But also it kind of sounded like a shoe brushing against a table leg. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they were pretty frustrated, and Al ultimately felt it best to call it a night. Um, So they left, and... But Eric stayed for the rest of the night, and he was pretty composed for the rest of his stay and noted that he, over the last few weeks, kind of grew this connection to Juliet that he felt had developed. And um, he left the next morning, like, not thinking about his fear, but he was more so worried for Juliet. He said that she wasn't remembered for her life, but more so for the mysterious circumstances in which she died. Um, and that if her spirit was in fact roaming sweet 870, then she'd been cleaning up for rich people until the moment she died only to get stuck encountering strangers for the rest of eternity. That's so sad. And as he left, he turned to the dining room and said, quote, bye, Juliet, for both of our sakes, I really hope you aren't here. Oh. And that concludes my, my, uh, haunted story of the Omni Shoreham Hotel and Juliet Brown. That made me so sad. I know. (laughs) 
But also a very thoughtful way for him to approach it. Yeah. And, but, I mean, and, not but, and still very sad. Yeah. Wow. Well, do you but, want to talk about Nikki? Oh, yeah. Thank to, you. Thank yeah. you. I almost forgot. Um, so even though I couldn't go to the event last weekend, my friends still went, uh, including one of my friends who's a huge believer in ghosts and all things paranormal. And I asked her to go up to the eighth floor and suss out Suite 870. And she said, where's my phone? Did I not bring it in? Okay, okay. <laughs> so she she texted me saying, I meant to tell you about my experience of 870. Going up to the eighth floor was so quiet. Also, it was very cold, especially when we got closer to the suite. I also felt like weird vibes and felt like I needed to look over my shoulder as I was leaving the area. So no like ghost sightings, but like a vibe check, Mm -hmm. you know, cold spots, um, you know, general unease. Yeah. Cold spots that are unexplained. Like if you're not near a vent or an air conditioning unit and you have a cold spot, that's, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and so she sent me some pictures of it, too, because it used to have a plaque on the door that actually said the ghost suite, but now it just says private residence, which isn't as fun. Interesting. Maybe they're not trying to market it anymore. (laughs) I feel like they really could, though. They really could. Because it sounds like the vast majority of the hotel isn't haunted or isn't, like, super haunted, so... For, go- for guests who aren't interested in that kind of thing, like, it's not going to affect them. But for people who are, they could be making so much money off of this one suite if they let people come in to do investigations or pay I to know. stay overnight, like, more frequently than they do. That's I know. a missed opportunity. I know. So, maybe they will one day. Maybe the um, owner of Omni Shoreham will listen to this podcast and then change his mind. Yeah. <laughs> number one fan for sure <laughs> yeah we're, we're gonna send you all this this <laughs> business sir ma'am oh, that <laughs> so, was so cool yeah there was a lot more to it than i originally thought there mm-hmm. was gonna be i wish so, i had known any of that when i went in 2017 right like because I, I didn't no know idea. any of this in 2019 either so god willing i'll get to go <laughs> next year <laughs> knock on wood yeah i feel yeah. like there are probably so many haunted hotels in dc that we don't even know. Oh about. yeah, in Baltimore. Oh, there's really? a lot. Yeah, like when I was look like when I was researching for this, there's a lot in Baltimore. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that would be great if there were ones in Baltimore. We could like go take a trip to some of them. I know. Yeah. Not stay overnight, but just go. <laughs> <laughs> Except both Nikki and her girlfriend, and then Chris and his girlfriend stayed overnight at, at, the, at the Omni. Oh. So these are my friends did? that went to the event. They wow. they. Yeah, a lot of them stayed overnight. Oh, man. They felt bougie and, and got hotel rooms. I mean, why not? Yeah, you might as well. Yeah, If you don't have there. a dog at home that <laughs> needs to be let out. <laughs> but yeah, I and they, they they were fine. I feel like, you know, if you're not in the Parkview or yeah, 70, true. then you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's the story. Cool. That was great. Okay, I'm going to get into my story now pull up my notes. Um, so today I'm going to be talking about the haunted and historic 1886 Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, um, which is widely acknowledged as America's most haunted hotel or one of America's most haunted hotels. So 
The Crescent has a long and storied history that begins with its construction in 1884. Um, and at this time in history, Eureka Springs in Arkansas was really famous for um, what people claimed were these healing waters or these mineral springs that became known across the nation um, as like tools for healing people. So you would go to these spas and like bathe in this water that would cure your ailments and heal the sick and the weary. Um, and all these kind of wild claims that people said this water was, was curing. So health resorts began popping up all across the area as savvy businessmen saw their chance to cash in on people's illnesses and desperation for cure, of course. So um, one person who also took advantage of this was the former Arkansas, Gover Arkansas Governor Powell Clayton, who formed the Eureka Springs Improvement Company and began building the Crescent Hotel. So the Crescent Hotel, um, for its time and today, but especially for its time, was like super, super luxurious. Um, it, it's a 78-room hotel that sits perched atop um, this mountain that overlooks the um, what was at the time the Victorian village of Eureka Springs. And it doesn't look like the Stanley Hotel from The Shining, um, like architecturally, but it's the same idea of like this hotel sitting on top of a hill. It's very mm. standalone, very... Um, impressive and kind of imposing. It's like its own little piece of the town. So, I mean, it had towers, these huge balconies, a stone fireplace. It was pretty modern with an elevator and plumbing and um, electric lights. And it had, you know, like tennis facilities, a swimming pool, a huge dining room. It was basically the picture of luxury in the middle of Arkansas. So the wealthy who had the time and money to cure their illnesses immediately flocked to the Crescent Hotel after it opened in 1886 to lots of fanfare. Um, but the success of the hotel didn't last because at the turn of the century, people basically began to realize that these healing waters were like a crock of shit um, and that nobody was actually getting cured from their illnesses by bathing in these waters or drinking this water. Um, so... Slowly over time, the resort lost its popularity, um, and it eventually shut down. The building then ran, then ran through various ownership over the next several years. Uh, first, it was the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women from 1908 to 1924. Um, it then sat vacant until 1930, when it was again used very briefly as a junior college until 1934. And then finally, and most faithfully, the hotel was purchased by a man named Norman Baker. Oh my God. I thought you were <laughs> going to say Norman Bates. <laughs> I mean, that would be iconic. <laughs> um, Norman Baker, who turned it into a cancer hospital and health resort. So kind of similar to what the hotel was originally created for, but a little different. Um, Norman Baker advertised a medical cure for cancer that didn't involve surgical operations or radiation, which sounds great. Um, he posited that rest, relaxation, and this miracle solution that he called Formula 5, which was later discovered to be made up of alcohol, glycerol, carbolic acid, ground watermelon seed, corn silk, and clover leaves, <laughs> which... That doesn't cure cancer. I can tell you that right now. Um, he claimed that this formula was enough to cure people in just six weeks to a couple months' time. And he was basically out here advertising to people who are sick with cancer that they could walk away from this hospital totally cancer-free. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So just like people did when the hotel first opened in the 1880s, the sick and weary once again began flocking to this new hospital. 
um, in the hopes of being cured. Dr. Baker, doctor, in quotes, Baker would extract tissues of his patient's tumors and store them in glass jars in alcohol, which he then kept in the hospital's morgue as a way to display how many people he was curing, which doesn't make sense to, to display the cures in the part of the hospital where the dead, dead people, people go. Huh. So he's collecting all these jars. <laughs> He would then inject the miracle formula at the site of the remaining tumor every day for however long the treatment lasted, six weeks to a couple months, on, until he said that the treatment was complete. Um, but what these patients didn't know is that Norman Baker was a complete quack. <laughs> he had zero medical training and had been convicted in <clears throat> Iowa just one year prior for practicing medicine without a license. Uh, oh, the, God. Yeah. This sounds like a story that they've told on My Favorite Murder before, I know, like of quack this. doctors. I know. Well, I feel like, um, isn't that the story of Dr. Death, the guy who was like killing his patients intentionally? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, this guy was, this guy was not good. Um, the American Medical Association had condemned these miracle formulas that Baker was using as like ineffective and like bullshit, basically. But Baker carried on because he didn't care. Um, he made his living by scamming and taking advantage of vulnerable people, and it's what he did best. He was originally a radio broadcaster and a former vaudeville magician who became rich by selling a musical instrument called the Air Caliophone. I didn't Google what this was, and I probably should have, but it sounds <laughs> like something that definitely doesn't exist anymore, so... That was a bit of a flop long-term for him. But he used his radio career and success to promote his phony cancer cure, um, and it got him a pretty large following and a fair amount of success. But by the time he bought the Crescent Hotel, his reputation in his hometown was ruined, um, so it was time for him to start somewhere new. I didn't say why it was ruined. I think people just like learned that this man was a phony in several ways in his life, so they were like, we don't trust you anymore. So he started anew with the Crescent. And unsurprisingly and very devastatingly, many of Baker's patients died under his care, in air quotes. Um, those who didn't die but weren't cured of their cancer in six weeks were told that they could return to the Crescent for more treatment free of charge, excluding the cost of room, board, and transportation. <laughs> so this guy's just... He's, that's not even a good scam, though. But, like, if you're desperate and this guy's claiming this thing is going to cure your cancer, like, mm, you, yeah, you'll do whatever you'll try you anything at that point. I know. So while operating the hospital again in air quotes, because the only medical examinations that they, examinations slash like procedures that they did besides injecting this formula, people said like the doctors would like poke and prod patients and like pinch their skin. There were no stethoscopes, no like x-ray machines anywhere in this whole joint. So it was just, the whole thing was just so fraudulent. It's insane. Um, but while he was operating this business of his, he was being investigated by federal authorities. And in 1939, he was finally arrested for mail fraud. And one U.S. postal inspector estimated that Baker made as much as $500,000 per year selling all this bullshit. And I don't know what that would be in today's money, but it would I mean, be millions of dollars that this man just defrauded all these poor people from. Um, the hotel, after he was arrested, the hotel set empty again until 1946 when a Chicago businessman purchased it with a promise to restore it to its original glory. Um, but it never reached that because um, the after the hotel was renovated and became popular again, a massive fire swept through the fourth floor um, in 1967 and damaged much of the hotel's south wing. 
And then finally, after decades of changing ownership, repairs, renovations, the Crescent was purchased in 1997 by Marty and Elise Ronig. And I'm just going to disclaimer, I might butcher all these last names, so I'm not going to disclaim this again. <laughs> that might be incorrect, but Ronick is what I'm going with. Um, the Crescent opened its doors once more successfully in 2002 and has remained in business ever since. And with its extensively unfortunate and dark history and how many thousands of people suffered there and how many people died there even, um, like I said earlier, the Crescent is often considered to be one of the most haunted hotels in the country. So, we're going to get into the hauntings now. Yes. Yes. That was just, that was just some background information. All we've got to have is background. Oh, yeah. Got to have context. So, when Marty and Elise purchased the hotel in 1997, they heard stories about guests reporting ghost sightings over the previous years before they owned it, um, but they were kind of skeptical at first. They didn't really look into it. However, as time went on and the two began renovating some floors within the hotel, they noticed that their dog... Um, an Irish setter named Jazz would refuse to stay alone in the north penthouse of the hotel. And like, as we know, animals always have, listen to your animals. Mm -hmm, they have some kind of sixth sense about this thing. Right, lady? She's sleeping somewhere. <laughs> yeah, she's asleep. Lady knows what's up. <laughs> um, so they decided to hire two certified medi mediums named Carol Heath and Ken Fugate to read the building. During their investigation, Carol and Ken reported that they believed that the hotel had a portal to the other side in it, oh. as in a dimension that holds the spirits of the dead, which can be accessed by those, quote, on the same frequency as ghosts. And this portal, they claimed, is located on top of what used to be the hospital's morgue. Oh. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so... They finished the investigation, and the hotel manager at the time, who I think actually might still be the hotel manager, um, named Jack Moyer, was like, I had my doubts. He didn't understand why they would bother investigating paranormal stuff at the hotel. Um, he was kind of skeptical and didn't like believe that there was a portal, which like <clears throat> is a pretty big claim to make, so I could understand yeah. the skepticism, but 18 years later, he had a change of heart. When he was talking to the hotel's ghost tour manager, yes, the hotel offers ghost tours. I'll get into all that later. But one night he was talking to the hotel's ghost tour manager who was voicing concerns about some reoccurring phenomena on his tours. Uh, the ghost tour manager said that multiple guests on different tours, like over different periods of time, different weeks, different months, different years, um, multiple guests had grown faint with some fully, pass, fully passing out at the same exact spot on the tour of the hotel with no explanation. Oh. The manager took Jack to the spot to show him like what was up, um, which was a corner on the hotel's third floor that connects onto an annex um, that was built outside of the hotel when it was used as a hospital. Jack froze and immediately identified this spot as being the exact location of the portal that the mediums had pointed out over a decade earlier. Mm. They were currently standing directly above the hospital's former morgue. There's your proof. I know. <laughs> Isn't that so fucking creepy? That's so creepy. I know. Um, and then, so remember how earlier I said that Dr. Baker stored samples of his patients' tumors in, like, glass jars and stuff? Mm -hmm. So officials were told that after the Baker Hospital closed, the owners who took it over next um, went down into the morgue ugh, and found all these, like, hundreds of these jars. Oh, my God. And 
They officials were told that those owners like took those jars to the dump, tossed them, just got rid of them um, once and for all to be rid of all that like creepy, fucked up <laughs> evidence of his crimes. Um, but in 2019, a landscape artist for the hotel was doing some digging in the northwest corner of the hotel's grounds to like build some landscape thing i don't know and she uncovered a whole bunch of glass jars that were buried in the ground and so they called in the arkansas archaeological survey team who worked to uncover nearly 500 glass jars that matched the descriptions of the jars that baker kept in his morgue like were there little Tumor bits in there? So, yeah. So, some of the <laughs> bottles just contained alcohol, like um, medical alcohol, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but there was also a solid chunk of them that contained what appeared to be tissue still floating in alcohol. And some people are wondering, like, is this, are these actual tumors that this guy claimed to extract? Did he, like, are these pig flesh tissues that the doctor bought to like fake and be like, look how many tumors I've removed. Yeah. Miracle work. Um, but people have said that since these jars were discovered, there's been an increase in paranormal, paranormal activity at the hotel. Um, and it's also just weird to me that they, whoever owned the, whoever bought the hotel after the hospital closed would not truly have just taken all that to the dump. Like, it's weird that it was buried. Right. Like buried stuff has a different kind of connotation. That's very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I couldn't find any clear answers, but people did say that activity has gone up ever since those were unearthed, which would make sense. Um, so the hotel has a super long list of ghosts that haunt it. Um, and some of the most frequently cited ghosts and experience include... A red-haired Irish stonemason named Michael, who helped construct the Crescent Hotel in 1884. Um, while working on the roof, he lost his balance and fell to his death. The area of the hotel um, where he fell is now home to room 218, which people say is the most haunted guest room in the whole hotel. Um, Michael is known to play tricks with the lights, the doors, and the TVs and pound loudly on the walls. Um, some guests have also reported seeing hands reaching out from the bathroom mirrors at night, uh. which I have never heard anything described like that before. So I don't Candy really, man. Yeah, I don't know what to make this of hook. that. <laughs> um, other people have heard screams coming from the ceiling as if a man is about to fall directly into the room and he'll even slam the hotel door shut, making it impossible for guests to get out without help from the hotel staff opening the door from the outside. And since reports of Michael's activity had become publicly known, guests who are into spooky paranormal stuff basically like have to fight tooth and nail to book the, the room for a night because it's so popular for people who want to experience Michael's wrath. (laughs) Um, The next ghost is called Theodora. Um, She's a ghost who is said to occupy room 419. Um, And Theodora was, is believed to have been a member of the Baker hotels staff who lived like in the hotel while she was working there in the late 1930s, Um, lived in room 419. And records show that room 419 is the Crescent Hotel's second most requested room because of Theodora's rumored housekeeping service. (laughs) Apparently, she'll tidy up after guests who stay in the room, but only if she likes them and thinks they're good company. 
So um, people go to room 419 all the time and conduct experiments where they like throw their shit all over the room and make a mess um, and try to see if Theodora will make her presence known by cleaning up after them. And it's not often successful, but a couple who stayed in the room reported that they had purposefully scattered their loose change all across the room, like on tabletops, on the nightstand, um, shortly before leaving for dinner downstairs in the crystal dining room. And they put like a do not disturb sign on the door. So like no actual housekeeping staff were coming in or out. And upon their return from dinner, they found their coins neatly reorganized in stacks of quarters, dimes, nickels, and pennies. And it was all lined up in one line atop their dresser. And like, Whoa. yeah, nobody knows. I mean, you assume it's Theodore, but like nobody knows who picked up all their stuff for them and organized their coins. And like they put the do not disturb thing on their door, so... She didn't listen. Yeah. Um, then there's the nurse on who wears all white on the third floor who can be seen pushing a gurney down the hallway after 11 p.m., which is when the hospital staff used to move the dead bodies out of the cancer hospital. Oh, you know. And those who haven't actually seen the apparition with their eyes have reported hearing squeaking metal wheels. Um rolling down the hallway at that time. Oh, that's so creepy. I know. And the area that this nurse haunts, like this part of the third floor hallway, used to house um, Dr. quotes, Dr. Baker's big like walk-in freezer for like the dead people and old his old autopsy table. Ugh. I know. And I I I couldn't tell if that was like a hallway where there are hotel rooms where people can stay, or if this is like a separate part of the hotel that people just go to investigate. I would never stay in a hotel room that's on the same like floor no. as a morgue. Absolutely <laughs> fucking not. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, and then people also often see a young woman who was likely a student at the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women in the early 1900s. And the tale goes that the young woman either jumped from or was pushed from the building's balcony to her death, and guests have reported hearing. Um, the sound of a young woman screaming, like as she, as she's Ooh. falling down to the ground, so you can hear the, her voice traveling. Um, and then there are like literally so many stories about this place, so I only pulled a handful. Um, but for a while, the hotel used to use its original antique switchboard for like um, calls within the hotel, so like people calling from their rooms down to the front desk for room service or whatever. But they decided to stop using it after they kept receiving phone calls from the empty basement where Dr. Baker's patients would go to receive their supposedly life-saving treatments. Mm. I know. (laughs) I know. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Um, Many experts believe that a lot of the hauntings at the Crescent Hotel are residual hauntings. Um, And for those who are listening who may not know, a residual haunting is when a ghost, like, doesn't know that they're dead necessarily. Um, so they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again in the afterlife. Yeah, I think we talked about that briefly in episode yeah. one with Mr. Boots. Yeah, Saying exactly. that he was probably residual haunting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've heard that most often what they're stuck doing is the thing that they did right before they died. Mm-hmm. Um, and often ghosts who are residual who are doing like a residual haunt, their death was so sudden and instant that they don't even know that they're dead. And they're also not aware of the people or like the real world around them. So they just keep doing their own thing. It's like Groundhog Day. Like every single day is the same. Um, So 
I also pulled an article to read about somebody's experience while staying in the hotel. Um, so I'm going to pull that up now and read it to you guys. This story happened in 2004. Um, okay, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to go there again. Summerlin Scaff begins her, t- begins her telling of the night she stayed at the Crescent Hotel in 2004. It was awful. Awful. It had been Summerlin's idea to stay at the Crescent Hotel for Valentine's Day with her then-husband, Carl. Oh, no. And their, <laughs> friend, their friends, Alice and Ted. Alice hadn't wanted to go, nervous at the prospect of staying in a haunted hotel. Alice was freaking out. She was like, it's haunted. I was like, no, it's not. Those aren't real. <laughs> Summerlin insisted until Alice and Ted agreed to go. Yet it had been Summerlin who felt affected by the atmosphere at the hotel, dizzy and nauseated ever since she entered the building. She chalked it up to her pregnancy. It was a rational conclusion, but Summerlin hadn't experienced any nausea prior to this. I was like, why am I so sick? It was weird because I would walk in that building and get so nauseated. Her nausea increased as they began the ghost tour. When the tour arrived at room 218, the room known as Michael's room, she became lightheaded to the point of passing out. Which is interesting because this isn't, this isn't the same point where the other people reported passing out oh. um, related to the, the portal and the morgue. Um, anyway, I felt really funny. I remember the tour guy going, is she okay? And my husband at the time was like, yeah, she's just pregnant. And the <laughs> tour guide said, well, you're more sensitive to it when you're pregnant, which is probably true because your hormones are all out of whack. And there's like two spirits <gasps> in you at the same time. That's true. Okay. Uh, sensitive, that is, to the presence of one of the Crescent Hotel's regular ghosts, although Summerlin was skeptical about ghosts. Room 218 is the location from which Michael, an Irish stonemason, fell to his death during the hotel's construction. His ghost, lingering near where he died, is known to touch, tap, and otherwise affect female visitors in particular. After the tour, Summerlin and her husband and her friends left the hotel to grab a meal in downtown Eureka Springs. Once she left the hotel, Summerlin felt totally fine again. Her nausea vanished. When she returned to the hotel, so did her nausea. She felt so bad that the group canceled their plans that evening in order to stay in and let her rest. Rest was elusive. The two couples were sharing a room that had beds across from each other. This feels very Grandpa Joe. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. As Summerlin lay in bed dozing off and on, she noticed Ted, um, her friend's husband, walking back and forth to the bathroom frequently. She sleepily wondered what he was doing, but thought he was feeling a little sick. She had fallen asleep again when, a little while later, she felt someone grab her toes. She jerked away. It wasn't Ted, was it? (laughs) It was Ted trying to scare her, she thought. (laughs) She couldn't... Which, how fucking weird. Could you imagine if, like... Like, like Corey grabbed Oh, my God, Corey grabbed your toes in the middle of the night. I'd be like, you fucking weirdo. Get in the room. like, Greer's toes are over there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, it was not Ted. She couldn't see Ted nearby, though. She looked around, searching the dark room, straining her eyes to see him. She began to drift back to sleep. Suddenly, a man cleared his throat next to her head. <laughs> ahem. I don't think that's what it says. <laughs> but it says ahem in the article, so I gotta do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was so close. His mouth had to have been just a few inches from her ear. It was the opposite side of the bed from where her husband's sleeping. Ted was in bed across the room. Oh my God. No one else was there. It was not Ted, guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> the rest of the night passed painfully slowly for Summerlin. After hearing a man's disembodied voice right next to her ear, Summerlin only heard her heart pounding nervously. This sounds like when you saw your grandma. Just yeah. the rest of the night passing in agony. Uh-huh. When the rest of the room's inhabitants awoke early in the morning, Summerlin asked Ted about his nighttime perambulating. She knew that she had seen him walking around into the bathroom, so she thought it had been him to somehow tweak her toes and, and clear his throat near her ear and quickly stealthily retreat to bed. Ted, she need, if she's having these thoughts that Ted is doing this, they need to revive it, their whole friendship. Instead, Ted looked at her strangely and said, I never went to the bathroom. He had never left his bed. The implication of a strange man, an apparition walking around their room all night and touching her, slammed into Summerlin. We're leaving, she announced. <laughs> they checked out early, early around 8 a.m., well before the usual checkout time, and without lingering for breakfast or any other reason. They left the Crescent Hotel, but the haunting experience of 15 years ago has never left Summerlin. Summerlin's experience is not out of the ordinary for the hotel, where unexplained phenomena around for visitors abound for visitors in all parts of the hotel and at all times of day. Director, Director of Marketing Bill Ott said her story is not surprising, but stresses that the haunting activity at the Crescent Hotel has never been malevolent, only mischievous at worst. In fact, he shares, ghosts are known to haunt for two main reasons, because they have unfinished business or because it's a location they've enjoyed in life. Quote, I've always said we've made people happy since 1886, so of course they're going to come back and enjoy more time at the Crescent Hotel. Oh, <laughs> shameless plug. I know. It's a great, they got a great marketing department at this hotel. God. Isn't that crazy? So do, do they think that the ghost was Michael? The one that like taps females and... I don't know. They didn't say in the article. Um, I don't think they were staying in room 218, but it sounds like whatever this ghost was doing is really similar to... I mean... I feel like ghosts can move. Maybe Michael. Yeah, he doesn't over. have to be trapped. In exactly. Like if he was the one that she was targeting on their tour, it wouldn't be totally out of the question for him to like follow her to their room. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, oh my God. The thought of hearing a voice right next to your ear. I just. Horrible. Oh, so, so horrifying. Horrible. So um, the Crescent Hotel not only embraces its paranormal activity, it like fully advertises it as a feature of visiting the hotel. And the Crescent has played host to tons of ghost hunting and paranormal TV shows, including my personal favorite, Ghost Hunters, uh, season two, episode 13, for anyone interested. And also my not so favorite, Ghost <laughs> Adventures with ah! Zach Baggins, season 16, episode six. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see if we can find I have DVDs of like the first few seasons of Ghost <clears throat> I was going to say like is it on, on streaming or anything I think it's on Discovery Plus because it was a, oh. it was a sci-fi show it, okay, I mean okay, I think okay. it's still going but well I think my family has Discovery Plus oh so gosh. we just gotta we should, um, scoop that password I, I was because when I was looking up to see what episodes this hotel had been featured in I was scrolling through like a list of the Ghost Hunter season 2 episodes and I forgot that they used to usually do two um places in each episode one would be like a hotel or a more like public space and they would also just go into people's homes and the oh. episodes where they go into people's homes are the best because you it's, need to meet these people yeah like, i know it's oh, oh they're gosh. so good we, sh we should definitely watch them yeah um okay you can also go to www.americasmosthauntedhotel.com for this like crazy archive of hundreds of photos and dozens of videos of official paranormal investigations and um, like videos and pictures taken by amateurs 
um, and guests of the hotel. Like they're all archived on here and there are shit ton of orbs, like so many orbs, orbs. lots of like moving figures, sort of figures looming in the shadows. Um, And they also have a place where people can, people have listed like their own personal ghost stories that they've encountered at the hotel. Um, And the website I learned is actually run by the two mediums who first read the hotel in 1997 and discovered the portal. So like they've sort of attached themselves to this hotel as the resident experts, like Mm -hmm. the sense I'm getting, which is super cool. I think they actually also run the ghost tours. Oh, um, but do, 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 do. So yes, the website America's most haunted hotel.com, um, also has a haunted activity section where you can purchase tickets for the ghost tour, which is 30 bucks. And you can also buy tickets for this annual event called the Eureka Springs paranormal weekend. (gasps) And I looked at it on their Facebook event and the description says two weekends of 40, Oh, like they offer it for two weekends. Yeah. A 48-hour immersion in paranormal investigation and Crescent Hotel history. Every year, the 1886 Crescent Hotel plays host to paranormal investigators of all experience levels for overnight ghost hunts, including hand-on explorations of the unexplained. <gasps> Your conference fee includes a guided investigation and behind-the-scenes access to the, all caps, most haunted spaces <laughs> of the property, enlightening seminars, on the storied history of the hotel and training to be an effective investigator. And it sells out every year. Oh, I'm sure. I know. Isn't that crazy? That sounds amazing. I know. It's so cool. Um, I think the one for this year happened in like January or February. Oh, okay. So it's already happened. Um, But also each weekend concludes with something that they call the reveal breakfast, which is where participants gather over breakfast and share their stories and experiences from the weekend. It sounds awesome. Wow. Unfortunately, that means having to travel all the way to Arkansas, but it sounds cool. I also don't think it's that expensive too. Um, So just like something to think about. Well, we can add it to our road trip. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to conclude my story by reading an excerpt from um, one of my sources, which is a Smithsonian magazine article by Jeff McGregor. Um, about the Crescent Hotel, which I think captures its haunting energy kind of perfectly. So Jeff says, quote, in the hotel, it's the same. Every stairwell and landing is fraught. Every empty hallway feels crowded and every room you enter feels as if someone just left. You are alone, but never alone here. And to the suggestible, to the willing, that's the point of the place. To be a little frightened by the supernatural, to feel alive in the company of the dead, in the dark, everything is a ghost story. But even the skeptical are moved here, if not to fear, then to sadness. The sharp historical sense of dread and of pain and of loss can be overwhelming if you open yourself to it. Because worse than any monster is a man like you or me, weak, greedy, unaccountable, selling hope to the hopeless. If you checked into that Baker hospital, your room holds everything you ever lost. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> And that is the story of the Crescent Hotel. Wow. I know. There was a lot to that that I didn't know. Because, like, I told you that I had originally started to research that one. Mm -hmm. And it was just so much, like, information that I was overwhelmed. And, like, I was skimming. And I saw, like, that bit about the the cancer hospital but i didn't read into it so i didn't know that it was all a sham yeah which is is all plot twist plot twist i know yeah there was they on the hotel's website they have like a blog again like they fully market that this place is super haunted they have a blog with i mean 
I don't think I probably only barely scratched the surface of how much, how many ghost stories there are. Like there's so, so much. So definitely go to the America's most haunted hotel.com and like look through the pictures, yeah. watch the videos, um, read people's stories. It's, you could very easily go down a rabbit hole for like hours. Oh, it's yeah. so fascinating. For sure. Yeah. Wow. I know. That was good. I really want to try to do a go to a haunted hotel. So, well, okay, you know how I want us to eventually do a Salem trip? Yes. We should stay in a haunted hotel up there. Oh my god, I'm so scared. Well, you just <laughs> you wanted to stay in one. I want to visit one. Oh, you want to visit one. But I would I would <laughs> I would do it. I do it with you. Okay. Okay. Oh my god. We have to have an escape plan though if it's too scary. Um, we, yeah. Sleep in the car. Sleep in the, sleep in the rental car. Yeah. That would be fun. That would be really fun. Would we be trying to ghost hunt or would we literally just be like, let's see what experiences we have? That. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I could do it. I could do it. Amazing. Okay. Well, that wraps up episode four. Yeah. And now it's time for paranormal protection tip of the week. Okay, so this week, we, since, well, we wanted it to align with um, haunted hotels, you know, if you do end up going to one, or just if you're going to a hotel in general and you don't know its haunted history, like I didn't with the Omni Shoreham for a long time, <laughs> um, um, where our tip this week is that you should put your things on both beds. And this, I guess, would be if you're traveling alone, yeah, like, so. um, and you, in your room has two beds. Um, put your suitcase, toiletries, or books on the bed you're not sleeping on. This is to make sure that it doesn't look inviting to invisible, quotes, guests <laughs> who might think they can spend the night in that bed. B- but don't put hats. Some say evil spirits dwell inside them. Interesting. Also, I remembered the name of the sex ghost. It's a succubus. Oh! Yeah. Okay. Um, Jennifer's body. She's a succubus. Oh! Oh, I've never seen Jennifer's body. Yeah, well, we, you gotta see it. It's so good. <laughs> okay. She's a... Yeah, she's a succubus. She's not... It's it's more so like a demon that lures, okay. that lures men to their death by seducing them and then eats them. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, so I came, as we were reading the tips about the beds, I was like, ah! oh, succubus. Succubus. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's the tip. Yeah. Scatter um, your, your shit. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, you guys, so much for listening. We're almost at 500 downloads, yeah. which is crazy yeah. that anyone cares to listen to this. But thank you so much. Um, you can find us on Instagram at DFWG Podcast. You can also send us your spooky ghost stories and personal encounters to our Gmail, which is dfwpodcast at gmail.com. DFWG podcast. DFWG podcast. <laughs> Can't forget the ghost. The ghost, the most critical part. <laughs> um, we also have our Podbean website, which I don't remember the URL. DFWG.podbean.com. <laughs> but you can listen to our episode anywhere you can get podcasts. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You yeah. name it. Um, and then if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating or on op- Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review and leave a little comment. Yeah. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, which I didn't realize. Yeah. You can follow the show. So, or follow. So that like when we drop new episodes, it'll pop up on your feed. Yeah. I followed us the other day. It was so easy. You can so do it easy. too. So easy. Takes two <laughs> seconds. Yeah. 
So thank you again so much for listening. Remember, when you're traveling, put your shit on both beds. Leave no empty bed unturned. And you guys know the drill. <laughs> Always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.